I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today was considered by many experts in North Carolina. Jerry Stackhouse was the top prep player to come out of North Carolina since Michael Jordan. He attended the University of North Carolina, played for Dean Smith, was one of the top three players drafted in the NBA, and spent 18 seasons, a two-time NBA All-Star. He decided to get into coaching and had the opportunity to be on the Raptor staff and the size jury and gave him the opportunity to run their G League team. And they won the championship. He was named Coach of the Year. He was recruited to Vanderbilt to the Commodores, to be their head coach. And over the past seasons, has taken the program and continually built it to be competitive on a national basis. Not only is it competitive in basketball, but academically one of the top universities in the United States. Our guest, Jerry Stackhouse. Welcome, friends. Uh, we've got a really special guest, uh, an individual who was the player of the year in North Carolina, played 18 years in the NBA, and uh, decided he was going to get in coaching, which most successful NBA players don't want to work that hard. So, Stack, let's talk first about growing up in North Carolina, how you got interested in basketball. How did basketball become your sport? I was the youngest of eight boys, man, and all of my brothers played. And like any youngest brother, I wanted to do everything that my older brothers did. And uh, they were they were really good. Half of them went on to play in college, a couple of smaller colleges. But my brother, Tony, he wound up playing at Florida State. He went to Gulf Coast for a couple of years and um, played at Florida State for two years. And then he played overseas. So that was kind of like my role model. I wanted to do everything he did. I wanted to wear the clothes that he wore. Everything I wanted a girlfriend that looked like his girlfriend, everything. Growing up in that small town, basketball was uh, was a big part of who we were. Why North Carolina? It's a, an incredible competitive area for talent when it comes to the various colleges. And I know you had a lot of choices. Why the, why go with the Tar Heels? You know, I, I went to on some visits. I enjoyed my you know official visits. I went up to Virginia. I had a really good visit up there. Just being seeing that environment at the time, Corey Alexander and um, Junior Burroughs had both went to Oak Hill like I did my senior year. So I got a chance to uh, visit with those guys, had a great visit. But when I went down to North Carolina, it was just like, I mean, I couldn't tell Dean Smith no. You know, it's like I, I went away for that one year. I mean, I went to high school for, for three years in Kinston, North Carolina, and I left uh, my senior year to play at Oak Hill. And I just, I miss with my family being able to come and watch me play. And I think, you know, going back to Chapel Hill and only being a, you know, a little over an hour and 20 minutes away that, that afforded my family to, to see me play during my college years. 
you were with one of the legendary coaches. I had an opportunity when I was at UCLA, Coach Wooden's locker was across from mine. And uh, when he retired, we went to a lot of breakfasts together. And uh, obviously, Dean Smith and he were competitive. So when you think about Coach Smith and what you might have taken away from him, what would you say the one or two things that you learned from him that you've carried on, not just as a player, but as a coach? It's definitely more than two, Jed. I mean, I just think from, from him, just the core, the foundation of, you know, basketball, of how it should be played, sharing the basketball, um, being a selfless player uh, on the offensive end, being a, um, tied together on the defensive end, keeping the ball out of the middle. I know there's a lot of, you know, pack line and all that type of stuff, but Coach Smith was a staunch advocate of keeping the ball out the middle, trying to send it to the baseline. And I think, you know, the defense that I've always, you know, felt most comfortable applying to my teams have those same, you know, principles. And I just think from uh, a human standpoint, just the way that he cared cared about all of us, uh, making sure that, you know, relationships was the most important thing. You know, you can have all of the great X and O's, but in order to get them to do it, is you got to have build relationships with them and make sure that they know that you care about them. And I think that's um, what I what I take from Coach Smith, and that I'm going to apply to any student athlete that I ever coach. When you leave North Carolina and go into the NBA, you have a an amazing career, lots of different teams. If you talk and think about two or three experiences, two or three coaches, or one or two coaches that really impacted you. As you think about your NBA career, what were the highlights in your mind? Again, just a number of highlights. I mean, I was so excited to to get drafted. I mean, I went to Philadelphia. You know, was with John Lucas my my very first year, and just you know, from from Lukey, I just thought the importance of being in great shape. I mean, that's what he was you know always preached. Just if you can, that's a talent within itself. Being in great shape. Uh, from there, I was. Uh, uh, went to, to Detroit and I was able to play with uh, Rick Carlisle, uh, Alvin Gentry were, were coaches while I was there, Doug Collins. I played for a number of coaches and I, and I took a lot, you know, from from all of them. Just, you know, some of the approach. I think Doug Collins was one of the one of the best offensive coaches I've ever, you know, played for. I mean, he could just make up, you know, play that we hadn't practiced all year. But in the, in the key situation in the game, he could go to the board and draw up something that could get us a great look. So that was always something that I felt was important to, to even to be able to see the game and read the game and be able to take advantage of, of what the defense was doing later in games was something that they hadn't seen. Uh, Rick Carlisle was uh, it was a guy that always had a kind of a message of work the game. You know, you're not going to blow him away in the first you know first five minutes, and and you're not going to and they're not going to blow us away in the first five minutes. You got to continue to work the game. And I think that's a theme that I continually to use no matter what's going on with our guys. I mean, if we keep working the game, keep doing the things that's necessary that we know how to do, that we will eventually, you know, get enough points and, and the game will be in the balance at the end for us to have an opportunity to win. When I went to to, to Dallas and was able to play with, with Avery Johnson, play on Avery Johnson, you know, it was similar to what I learned under Coach Smith because we had those ties he, he played for. Um, Popovich, who, you know, learned a lot from Larry Brown. Larry Brown learned a lot from Coach Smith. So it was like, man, uh, it was great synergy there again as well. But uh, just just a number of people that I, I learned from, taking a little bit uh, from Dwayne Casey when I was with, with um, the Raptors. 
that was the first time of being on a pro staff and just understanding how you know the pro pro team operates and manages them. He's one of the he's one of the best managers of, of, of young players and one of the best coaches in the league. Period. So I think um, I, I just I was blessed to be able to play and learn from a lot of good coaches and to be able to to apply some of the things that I, I got from them and kind of make it my own. Then uh, you retire and you do some TV. And then you go from TV, decide you want to be an assistant coach. There are very few NBA players that had the success that you do that want to work that hard to be a coach. Why become a coach? You know, I think I've always been a coach, even when I was playing toward the end of my career. I was always a mentor, not even at the end of my career, even in the middle of my career. I was, you know, when I was in Detroit, I used to always bring the, the rookies over to stay with me to make sure that they were, would get to practice on time because I didn't have that type of you know, mentorship or leadership. When I first came into the league in Philadelphia, I was just kind of on a, a team that was, you know, seeing a lot of guys come in and out the door, a lot of 10-day contracts. I think I played with like 30 players. So, I mean, I longed to kind of have that that veteran presence. And I, and when I had an opportunity to to be be that veteran presence, I tried to do that. And I think that, that carried on Toward the end of my career, when I was again in Dallas, Avery Johnson used to let me, you know, run the film sessions a little bit, just so that the team wasn't always hearing his voice because he knew I had a great grasp of the game and the things that we we wanted to do. I kind of grew from there, and um, I started my uh, AAU program. I was, you know, really got in coaching because I was going to watch my son play, and felt like they were just rolling the balls out there. They weren't really teaching them anything. It was kind of an eighth grade game. I had some time. I was toward the end of my career, and I had some time to to spend with those guys. So I started an AAU program. So, you know, again, like you said, it's a lot of work. Not only did I do that, I went to the NBA. You know, the NBA PA had like a coaching clinic um, that you know Brendan Sir ran. I, I I went and did that coaching program. I did a program with the NBA um, under Paul Silas. So I was doing a lot of things to kind of build, you know, make my bones behind the scenes. Um, and I think from, you know, I had that time where I was doing the broadcasting and things like that. That was just to stay close to the game, making sure that, you know, because it's kind of it's an abrupt stop when you stop playing. It's, you kind of try to figure out some things. But I had already um, started to lay some foundation in the coaching rim and in the, in the broadcasting rim to make sure that I stay close to the game that I love. You uh, get with Toronto and you end up running their G League team and end up being named coach of the year running the G League team. So what's that like? I mean, because the players are switching. You get on there, you got a rotating roster. So how do you manage how do you manage that variability? I think for me it was just, you know, implementing a system. You know, I think I was fortunate because I was I was given a kind of a canvas, even though that we were the farm system of, of the Raptors and we did some basic things that, that they did. I was I had the autonomy to to expand on that and do some different things. And, I, you know, and being a, a, the head coach of a G League, you wear a lot of hats. You, you know, you're the GM, you're the trainer, you do all those different things. So it gives you a chance to really understand all of the different aspects that go into, you know, managing a, a professional franchise. And I, and I, and I was blessed, you know, Messiah, the jury gave me that opportunity to, you know, after just one year as an assistant coach to, to lead, to lead my team. And I was, you know, I had a great staff and I was, we were able to win a championship in that, in that first year. So that was, you know, the kind of, even though a lot of people felt like it was maybe taking a step back because I was on that trajectory of already kind of being, 
you know, behind the bench with KC that my next progression would be on the bench and then eventually maybe, you know, get a head job. But um, I took the, you know, maybe the, the path a little less traveled and some minds taking a step back, but it gave, you know, it, it was one of Nick Nurse was one of the first guys like Stack. Do it, man. Do it. You know, you, you get so much experience. You'd be able to, you know, you know, make some mistakes, learn, learn some different things that, that you just don't think is going to come up. And, and then I, and I listened to him and, and, and when I went down there and, and had some success and then I was you know blessed an opportunity to come to, to, to Vanderbilt and uh, kind of the, the rest is history. It's been great, man, here, being able to build my, my own program. I, I never really thought about college like that, you know, college basketball, because I've been around the pros for almost 20 years straight. But um, a lot of my the, the AAU players that I, you know, coached, you know, so I, I, I had a lot of dealings with a lot of coaches with them talking to me about, you know, prospective players to add to that team. So I had some relationships there. I had a lot of, you know, relationships in the grassroots. So it just made a lot of sense because I knew that if I was able to, you know, get the type of players that, that we needed to compete in the SEC, that, that, that we would definitely have success and now that's starting to, to happen for us. SEC has always been known as this football conference. And all of a sudden, the last three or four years, it's been really taken over in terms of the competitiveness. Being a college coach, I mean, it, it's complicated now. You have the transfer portal. You've got different ways to build your roster. To talk about the complexities of how you go about building your roster, because you've gotten to the point now where you've got yourself really competitive in the league and on a national basis. So help our audience understand that transfer. Everybody hears about the transfer portal, but explain what that's like and how you use it or how you want to uh, either recruit high school players that you know are going to be with you for a, a long period of time. Uh, you know, how do you want to get that culture built? I think that's the important part of it that you say is just trying to build a culture. I mean, here, you know, at Vanderbilt, it's a, it's a little different. I mean, I, I don't think that we can go into any gym and I just say that, I, oh, I love this kid and uh, I want to add him to our roster. I mean, I think a lot of our, our first approach is to see, is he a good student? Can he come to to a high academic you know, university and, and be successful? You know, those are one of the first things. And then we, uh, once we identify those type of students and then we found that you know find that the ones that can compete at a high level want to compete at a high level whose families want this type of environment for them that's where we we build out from there and and it has changed the transfer portal is uh you know it's, it's new to to everyone um where you can allow one-time transfers to come in and play right away without having to sit out a year so it's you know it's, it's become a lot more volatile and it's and and quite for, honestly and, and frankly it's it's it really puts the high schools, high school players at, at a little bit of a disadvantage because, you know, you, when you really weigh it, do I want a guy to come in here if you, you know, when you know, it's high stakes business where you have to win and you have to be successful? Do I go out and find a guy that's already been on a college campus that's gotten, you know, been in the weight room for a year and, and ready to come in and, and compete right away? Or do I go get a high school kid who I have to come in and, and on board and do all of these type of things? But I think for us, we, 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 we were fortunate. We have a really good recruiting class coming in. Um, got four, actually four high school players coming in this season. And, we're, you know, one of uh, our first kind of top 20 recruiting class. So we're, we're excited about those kids. I mean, if it was a, you know, a year later, 
maybe it'd be a different story, but we're, we're still uh, ecstatic about, you know, these young guys that we're bringing in. We think that'd be a nice foundation, but I, I do believe going forward that it'll be a little bit of a mix, maybe one high school player, and then you go around and find a, a guy that's a good fit that's a, that's a little older. So I think the transfer portal is still going to be um, equally, if not more important than, than high school recru recruiting going forward. Let's take a look now at March Madness, which I guess is really a fair way to call what's happened, especially with what St. Peter's has accomplished and the fact that two other number one seeds have been eliminated. How have you sat and evaluated what's happened this year? Well, I, I just think that there's a lot of parity. I think when you when you're able to get older, I think that's always uh, and you know when you talk about college basketball, you see the teams that have had. Uh, big success if they're able to sustain, they're able to retain players year after year and they're able to get older. And, and I think with, with COVID, um, you were able to, a uh, senior class that would, you know, that would, would graduate was, was allowed to come back for another year. So a lot of teams stayed, stayed older. And again, the transfer portal where you can go in and find, uh, uh, you know, players that, that fit and mix that have, you know, again, that are older. I think that's what you're seeing. Um, you're not seeing just a lot of young teams that are are still relevant right now. Maybe there are a couple guys mixed in, but most of the teams that are having success are teams that have had guys on their campus for a couple of years or, or guys that have already transferred in and they're making make major contributions. Uh, like my, my alma mater, I mean, they've got guys that have been at you know, UNC that you know, they're still rolling right now. They've got guys that have been around Baycock. Um, and, and those type of guys, but they have, you know, uh, Manic, who came in, who was a four-year starter at Oklahoma, who came in and really solidified their front court. So it's about, you know, you know it's, it's almost like being a GM now. You know, you you, you got to build a team, and um, hopefully all of the pieces fall together at the right time. It didn't start great. I mean, I think Hubert was getting a lot of hate early on because they weren't having the success that, you know, the, the fan base thought that they were having, but it takes time to – to build a team and, and mold a team and make sure the guys are, you know, buying into to, to what you're trying to, to to accomplish. And I think they they're the epitome of that right now because they're playing as as well as anybody in the country. I'm a high school athlete. My parents, they look at you and they look at Vanderbilt. Why would they <laughs> want to come play for you? Well, I've, I have a, a ton of experience of uh, I've been exactly in your shoes. You know, if you if you're the top high school player, I was the top high school player coming out of coming out of high school, and um, you know, I had a pretty pretty good career at North Carolina as well. So I think uh, just just having that blueprint of of success and knowing what you're going to deal with and the ups and downs, the adversity that you're going to face, and I think that's that's why I'm, I'm candid and I'm honest with that. It's not going to be you know peaches and, and, and cream and roses every day here you're going to have some you're, you're going to have to face some adversity and and, and we're going to help you um, understand that but uh, I think that's you know just being able to come here to Vanderbilt and get a world-class education um, I, I, I don't I just honestly and I may be a little biased but there's nothing in the SEC you want to play basketball at the highest level I think the SEC is playing basketball at, at the highest level of anybody right now of any conference in the country and on top of that, you're able to come at a, a world-class, a top 15 university. It's hard to, to find that combination. There may be two other combinations like that in, in the country. And I think that's in the ACC, that's Duke uh, and Stanford you know, on the West Coast. I mean, I, I truly believe that that's, you can play at, at that type of level and, and, 
accomplish what you want to from an athletic standpoint, as well as um, have an unbelievable you know, academic experience. One of your peers that had great success uh, in the NBA has a son, and his son's playing for you, Scottie Pippen. Why and how has that worked out in terms of having you know, a, a former uh, individual that had the success that you've had allowing and wanting his son to come play for you? Again, it just speaks to relationships. It, was, it speaks to the fact that, I mean, Scotty and I, we have always were, were, were cordial away from the game. And when I was coaching and I was making my bones, you know, as a G League coach, I mean, I would see him on different platforms. He was always w- was supportive. And that was before I even, you know, knew anything uh, that his son was even high school age. And then when I got the job at, at Vanderbilt, uh, I found out that he had committed. I mean, I, I didn't recruit Scotty initially. He was recruited from the previous staff before I got here. So it was about you know, trying to retain and some of the guys, some of those guys jumped in the portal uh, immediately when they had the coaching change. Uh, I didn't chase them because you know, I just felt like if you were, you wanted to leave, you wanted to leave. But I think Scotty was, was, was one that, you know, he, he wanted to stay here. I mean, he didn't have a ton of offers coming out of, out of high school. He wanted to play at a high level. Uh, and, and, and I think just that relationship that, you know, with his dad and being able to trust him, uh, with me was was huge. It was huge into where we are right now. Scotty has been the epitome of development and, and being able to um, really work his way into becoming one of the best players in the country, in my mind, and definitely one of the best players in the SEC. I mean, he's had back-to-back 20-point seasons, um, all SEC first team two years in a row. I mean, he has a and, and and he has a chance to come back. I mean, Scotty really has two years of eligibility left. And, and but uh, but I mean, no, uh, coming back this year, we it, our mind was for him to probably have a great year and, and and to go to the pros. But I think, you know, he's really enjoying college. I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion that that he's gone. It could be an opportunity for him to come back and and really become become our all time leading scorer and and, and possibly be the most decorated basketball player in Vanderbilt's history. And and so I just think. He's been unbelievable part of the success that we had uh, up to this point and, and could be the, the catalyst in us, you know, taking that first step of becoming a tournament team next year. Any other people you want to talk about as it relates to your career and your success? Uh, or what's, your, what's been your proudest moment uh, as a player or as a coach? I think my proudest moment and, and the people that have meant most to me is my family. You know, my mom, and uh, I lost my dad a little over a year ago. Um, he was, you know, my hero, just a you know, guy that went to work every morning, you know, five o'clock in the morning, drove a sanitation truck from eight to four. And then when he got off of work, he went and found another job. And then on, on to, to do whether it was cutting grass or doing something, you know, and, and on Saturday mornings, we were, you know, did had a, land, a landscaping business that I used to get out there and work with him and do all those things. So, I mean, I think he was my motivation in a lot of ways to see how he worked and provided for our family and uh, motivation to know that I don't want to do this the rest of my life. So I'm going to work on my jump shot and go to school so I don't have to uh, have this type of manual labor the rest of my life. But he taught me the importance of, of working and, and my mom as well. I mean, she's um, my, my mom's a minister. They, they kept us in church every Sunday. Our faith, my, our faith is, is strong. I, I have no doubt that I'm here because of her prayers and not so much of the good things that I've done myself. She's still living. She turned 93 last uh, last Saturday. So I've, I've been fortunate. And my, my mother 
Uh, my mom had me when she was 45. So, I mean, I was, uh, I was kind of an afterthought. I was blessed to even be here and, and just to be able to, you know, she got cancer my sophomore year. I mean, that was a big part of my decision to leave school early. You know, she was 65 and she had cancer and I had an opportunity to go be one of the top three picks in the draft and could, you know, retire her and, and, and change you know, her, her lifestyle. And, and I can happily say that she's been able to, to live her golden years with some gold, you know, or, you know, and, and to be at this point. So that, those are kind of my proudest moments, man. My brothers, again, like I said, have been, you know, great supporters and, and, and a huge push for me trying to strive to, to beat them. I mean, once I knew that I could, could beat them, I mean, family reunion was my favorite time of the year when, when those guys would come back home um, and, and play against me and I could show them, you know, that I've taken another step and, and could compete against them. And when I found out that I competed against them, I knew that I could compete against anybody in the country. So as much as anything, uh, Jay, my, my family has been my, my biggest supporters and they've been my, what I've been chasing. I've been chasing to try to be who they are as people. My mom is just, you ask anybody about her, she's one of the sweetest people that you, you, you would ever meet. She would give um, anything. I mean, we, we didn't have a lot growing up, but I, I you know, vividly remember somebody coming over to, you know, borrow a cup of sugar and we only probably have a cup of sugar ourselves and she would give them half of it. So that's who I strive to be. I try to make sure that I'm a good person. And, um, if, if, if you do those things and good things normally happen to good people. Really appreciate you taking time and visiting with us today. Thank you. And good I luck. You, Jay. Thank you.